ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Yes, if you're looking to make your name these days, there's a good chance that people around you suggest you must have a social media presence alongside your normal work. Could that be starting to backfire? Professor Inga Mewburn thinks it might be, and she's something of a specialist here. She's an academic researcher, fully into extending her work and image on various outlets, as required, really, by her university, her employer. But this is what she wrote recently in a pretty wry piece. On my phone, she wrote, I now have three Twitter-like platforms, Mastodon, Blue Sky and Threads, in addition to Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook. Promote your work on social media is now an endless game of cut and paste with no time left over to talk to people. She dubbed it the inshitification of academic social media. And look, we just couldn't resist finding out why. Inga, welcome to the program. Thanks, Geraldine. I'm glad we could connect. And look, so many questions. And that term, inshitification, I first heard uh, on our sister program, Future Tense, a few weeks back, coined by the US writer Cory Doctorow. Explain what it means, please. Uh, So Cory Doctorow and Rebecca Giblin actually really fully explained it in a book called Choke Point Capitalism. And really, it's basically about not just social media platforms. It's like late-stage capitalist corporate operations. So to unpack that in not professorial language, uh, platforms like, for instance, Facebook start off by being fun and easy to connect with your relatives, share pictures of your dog and your kids. You're all having a great time. And then they open it up to advertisers. And, you know, you're still having a great time because you can still, between the ads, connect with your friends and you kind of put up with it. And then at a certain point, Facebook wants to claw back the value of the advertisers. So first of all, they made the advertising really cheap, uh, really easy to access and made it really easy to see the reach that advertisers were getting, gave them heaps of metrics. And then over time, they used algorithms in order to not show the ads as often or as frequently and ratchet up the price of the ads at the same time. And the price of the ads is also kind of obscure and secret. You don't know if you're paying twice as much as someone else for the same amount of exposure because it's all happening behind a curtain. And so in the end, what happens is they then start to make it more difficult for you to see your friends because you're seeing so many ads and also the ads Ad makers aren't even sure that they're getting their ads out there and then we're all in an initiativification cycle together and Dr Owen Giblin's point is that this is how platforms die and we can see it happening on various platforms, not just Twitter. Oh, I mean, Reddit, that we did a piece on Reddit recently, and I think something like that is possibly underway with Reddit as well. Um, Oh, for sure. Look, what does it feel like as an academic to be caught in an inshittification cycle? Actually, pretty awful. Um, I was a very early adopter. 2010, I started my blog, The Thesis Whisperer. I joined Twitter in 2009, and I was probably one of the first people in academia to start really putting my work out there on social media. My work has a particular audience that's niche. I sometimes say I'm a micro-celebrity on Twitter. If you know, you know. And so I, I got a lot of career success from that. So you know, basically Australian National University where I work now called me up because of my blog, because they'd seen me on Twitter. They invited me for an interview and the rest is history. I've worked there for 10 years now. So I was sort of an early poster girl for using academic media to raise your research profile. And we work in a very competitive environment in academia. I often call it the academic hunger games where, you know, there's a lot of casualised work, 
the the grants are hard to come by. They're super competitive. And so anything that might give you an edge is, is really important. And one of the really important things about social media, and people have studied this, is paper citations. So we academics, we write academic papers for each other. They have a low readership. But social media has been a really proven way to get that metric up. So if you can write a paper, you can interest other academics in your field in it. They read it, they cite it, you get citations, you can put that on your promotion application and it really benefits you cash money. And this, and this all happens because of the algorithm. Yeah, well, the algorithm gets in the way of it. So <laughs> it was fine. We were all having a great time up till about 2016. Everything I said held true. But since then, progressively, it's been getting worse and worse. And because I have such a large footprint, 27,000 followers on Facebook, you know, 50,000 followers on Twitter, I could definitely see all my views and, and stuff dropping off. And I thought, is it just me? Am I writing terrible things? Are people not liking what I do anymore? And then progressively, as I read more into it and my, my fellow academics who study this sort of thing in more detail started to read their work, I started to ha understand that the algorithms were actually in charge of what people see, what I see, and actually what we feel <laughs> as well. Uh, so, you know, there's a whole literature on that, which I won't bore you with unless you want me to. <laughs> well, what happened when you realised this? This was obviously a moment of truth for you. Yeah, I realised it about probably about two years ago. Um, and I teach social media to other academics. So, um, I do a five-week course on it because it is actually quite complex, um, how to balance it off with your time and all that kind of stuff. And during that, I sort of taught my old method and then I realised people were reporting back to me, look, it just doesn't work for me, Inga. You know, it might work for you, for it doesn't work for me. And that's when I started really researching it. And then I started to think, well, how how do I teach this? I changed completely how I taught the course. I also was very concerned about people using a platform to, to contain all the content. So instead of writing a blog that they own, they'd put a Twitter thread there and Twitter owns that content then um, of their thoughts. And so I started to sort of change my teaching strategy around that. But it, it hasn't been it hasn't been an easy thing to teach for a long time. Let's say when your work started to fall off, did you start to pay to actually get a better placement? It, when I, I wasn't quite clear from your writing whether that was the temptation or whether you did. Um, I haven't paid to just circulate my ordinary blog posts, but my, my social media presence is so big, the university often asks me to help them. I, I'm one of the big, um, I am the biggest um, account in the university. So if the university has an event or something like that, I've paid to promote that through my feeds. But it hasn't really been worth it. I haven't really seen that it does, it, it might increase views, but it doesn't necessarily increase event attendance. So I sort of gave up at that point. But no, I haven't used it just to circulate my ordinary stuff because I have a WordPress site, it has a mailing list. There's over 30,000 people on that mailing list. I have a big enough audience and it gets out there if it needs to. So I haven't felt the need, but I know other people have. I don't know whether to laugh or cry at what you're telling me. I mean, <laughs> <Nor> do I? <laughs> I, I? You know, you quote in your cute piece, in the immortal words of Joshua, uh, W-O-P-R, however you pronounce him from War Games, the only winning move is not to play. But you are still playing, aren't you? Yeah, I'm still there. I suppose what I mean by playing is um, taking it seriously and investing your identity and thinking that your work matters more if it's 
popular there. I think be there for fun. Put your cut and paste your stuff onto various platforms. I do. Um, but maybe invest if you're going to spend time there talking to people, pick one that you like and just hang out there and just don't worry so much about looking at can you drive numbers up, can you drive followers up because that's the mentality that you get into um, when you start to think everything is always about numbers. That's But you're encouraged to think like that too, aren't you, from university authorities? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just social media, of course. It's citation numbers, it's downloads of your papers, it's metrics, it's the quality, you know, number of the journal, it's the ranking of the universities. We're just obsessed with numbers. And I mean, for years I've been saying why, I mean, university rankings don't mean what people think it means either. But as soon as there is a number, it kind of wipes out any other conversation. Does it, um, I wonder if there's a sort of an ethical dilemma here or is it really, does this go to this whole argument about whether universities have lost their way, particularly our huge ones in Australia, you know, pushing social media in effect on um, uh, researchers, maybe replacing some of the work they used to do to um, personally support and promote the work of their academics? I mean, it, you know, do you dwell upon that? Well, there was some blatant pushing of social media for a while, but it kind of died off because they got so much resistance to it, and rightly so. I think academics would rather concentrate on their students and their work, and there's always that tussle inside universities between management and academics about what's important. Um, And universities have increasingly hired journalists into media teams and so on and concentrated on that. So the pressure did reach um, quite a pitch, you know, again around 2016, 17, and it's died off since then. Also partly because people like climate scientists get so relentlessly harassed that um, people don't think it's safe to encourage people to go there. So I think the ethical question has always been very live within academia. I think the problems of academia are bigger than university management. I mean, it's very easy to point the finger at your leaders. But if you take a step back and have a look at the funding regimes that are set up and the government is also obsessed with the university's prestige rankings and how that plays with an international student market. And we're all caught in an endless kind of giant hamster wheel that Mm. we just run around and around. And so the the problems are actually way bigger than any one person or one institution. Um, I wonder if this will ultimately, as the financial commentator Alan Kohler has alluded to in one of his recent articles, whether it will ultimately semi-kill social media as we know it, which I know sounds hysterical to say now because it's, you know, it's, it's very, mm. very much in our, in our midst. But that, you know, I mean, you've really had quite a journey, I think, of um, you've become distinctly ambivalent about it. Now, there must be lots of people going through this. Oh, yeah. Like, that's, I think, why this this post just really caught fire in a way that I just wrote it from the heart. Sometimes I do this. Sometimes I just write something from the heart and everyone goes, yeah, that's exactly how I'm feeling. So I think we're all feeling very disenchanted. We're all very aware of how much time it takes our eyeballs. It's exhausting. Um, arguing with people is pointless. That feels really draining. And I think not so much that it will die, but it will fragment and continue to fragment. I've got friends in every platform. I feel like we're stranded on different islands, you know, reaching out to each other and that I'd sort of on a seaplane hopping between islands when I dip into each one. But the more 
more that there are, the more difficult it is to get around to see everybody and so inevitably you start to lose touch because lots of us academics really do use it to talk to each other. Like we're nerds, right? And often there's <laughs> no one who shares your nerdiness within your institution because we're encouraged to be experts. And often we're the only person in the world that knows that particular thing. And the people that we can most talk to about that particular thing will be in another university on the other side of the world. So that for for academics has become really important. And I think that's the thing that will survive, but is also at risk from this massive fragmentation. Because how much time do you have? Well, have you changed your time management as a result of this? Have oh. you taken up hobbies? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I was really good when I got off Twitter last November. I'm still there, but I'm not there there, if you know what I mean. When I got off Twitter last November, my screen time on my phone just dropped and I started writing my new book and I thought, this is amazing. And then threads came on and I am hooked on that thing. <laughs> oh, no, and I know it's the algorithm. So like, I, I fight my own addiction. You know, I used to be a smoker and I find it very similar to that. <laughs> um, sometimes cold turkey is the only way, but then I wouldn't see my nerdy friends. Enough candor, enough candor. Look, thank you. <laughs> That's great. It's lovely to chat. Thanks very much, Inga. You're most welcome, Geraldine. And Inga is uh, Director of Research Development at the ANU and she writes a blog called The Thesis Whisperer, which is where you can find her piece on the inshitification of academic social media. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.